Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. First application of today, K-Image Map Editor. I didn't know what this was at first. I, I thought it was going to be another cute plugin. It's not. It is an HTML editor that creates image maps. An image map is, if you've ever seen uh, on the internet, an image that when you roll over the image in different areas, you have you, you trigger different events. So, for instance, maybe it's an image of, I don't know, a box. And if you hover over the box, then you realize you can click on it and it'll open up what's in the box and you'll be able to see what's inside or whatever. So if you've ever seen those kinds of images on the internet, this is what creates, or this is a tool that you can use to create that. And what that is, like I say, it's an image map or really an HTML map entity, which uses screen coordinates to define different hot spots within that page and you can use it can it can use html it can trigger or it could use uh, javascript essentially you're just you're you're defining areas active areas purely by coordinates you can do that yourself you can create a map element in html set your coordinates put a map uh, an image map to that and 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 it, it can happen you can do it yourself but this tool makes it a very graphical experience. I gotta say, it's really, really nice if you choose to do that sort of thing. Now, modern HTML, luckily, the image map thing, at least in Firefox, it detects those coordinates essentially as buttons. So if you're using a web browser exclusively with a keyboard, not using your mouse, maybe because you can't see the image, or you just can't be bothered to pick up your mouse, um, then this, this, when you tab through an interface in your web browser, those coordinates, the, the, they're treated as distinct elements. So on one hand, that's a good thing. On the other hand, that can be a little bit bothersome because if you've got like 20 things in this hidden in an image, then you have to tab through 20 things to get down to some information that you want or, or whatever. So whether it, that's the best way to organize information, I think is up for a very reasonable debate. But there's probably use cases for it, and uh, this tool, K-ImageMapEditor, helps you create it. Now, I will admit that, and maybe this is just the basic use case, but for, for whatever reason, when you go to create an image map, there are several steps more than I would have expected. I would expect in, a, in an application designed to create image maps that a lot of the image map features would, would would trigger by default but for whatever reason they do not and there may be a very good reason for that i i, I don't use this application myself often enough well ever until i had to learn it for this very episode i don't use this application i don't do image maps really i just don't have the re- the, the need to do that in real life so there may be a use case where its workflow makes a lot of sense. But for me, I felt that the workflow was just just had a couple of steps in it that, that didn't quite feel intuitive. But that's okay, because it's well-documented. And when I say well-documented, I mean, it's a one-page user manual. It's really simple. So it's not 
it, it isn't impossible to grasp. It's just you do need to know a couple of steps. So let's go through it really quick. You launch K image map editor from your uh, menu, your K menu as usual. You launch it and then you open an image file. Uh, it can be a PNG, a JPEG, a GIF. I don't know if it can be a WebP or not. I didn't try. It's not listed in the docs, so maybe not. But you open up a, an image and you can just drag and drop an image in there. And and now you've got an image loaded in K image map editor. Here's one step that I felt was a little bit non-intuitive. You have to manually add an image map um, element or, or object by going to the map menu and then selecting new map. Once again, I, I would have thought that if, if I just opened up a new menu or a new image in this application, I would have expected a new map to have been applied automatically. But like I say, maybe there's a good reason for not doing that. Either way, go to map, select new map, and it creates, although you won't really know it. I mean, you can, you, you, you might notice it in one of the side palettes. There's a, there's a little Docker dialog box, whatever we call them now, um, or not a, not a dialog box, a panel over in the left by, by default with the maps, the active maps showing, be, being listed. So yeah, it's, it's weird that it's not done automatically. Um, the first time I tried this, I felt like it was being done automatically, but there's another step later that isn't done automatically. So I don't know, it's a little bit confusing. Anyway, so we've got this thing, we've gone map, new map, and then you name the map. Let's just call it my map. Uh, so now you've got a toolbar at the top of the window and hidden away within this toolbar, there are some shapes. And so it depends on the size of your window. If you have a, a fairly like a half screen window or something, you may not see the entire toolbar. I don't know why the shape tools are added to the main toolbar. I felt that was a little bit of a strange call. Um, I, I strongly suggest if you're going to use this frequently to just switch over probably to icons only at least for for some some of the the elements like your saves and your new file your undo your cut copy paste that sort of thing i would just go icon only and the way that you do that is you right click in that toolbar go to icon side nope uh text position icons only and that that turns off the text oh wait a minute these are separate no they're not they're, they're not they're they're just separated by separators okay that's what I thought. Unless they're locked and they are separate. Are they separate? They are separate. Okay. I would, okay. I would either hide the, the, the text as I've just described or move, unlock your toolbars and move some of those toolbars around. So I've just now moved my shape toolbar and my selection, uh, uh, editor, my select, my cursor, uh, to the bottom of the window. You could, Put it on the side or something like that who knows but um anyway now you've got an image you've got a map there are shapes take a shape choose your shape it could be a circle it could be a hexagon it could be a rectangle or it can even be a freehand drawing and just draw a shape over the area that you want to be your new hotspot. it's actually called an area tag apparently when you do that after you draw your shape over the area of the image that you want to be active, a, a menu pops up or a, a dialog box rather pops up. And there are several attributes that you can assign to this, what, what, what's going to become a link. The general, the general assumption is that you've just created an href. So let's say that we want for the href, we're going to just put HTTP 
colon slash slash example.com. Alt text, I'll just put um, this is some alt text. I mean, that's not useful. I wouldn't do that in real life, but I don't, this image is completely random. Target, um, I'm going to do underscore blank. That tells your web browser to open whatever we've just triggered in a new a new window or a new tab, really, is what it usually defaults to. And then title, and I'll put this as some title. Okay, you, do, you don't have to stop there. You can go over to the coordinates and manually adjust them, or you can go over to the JavaScript area and put in some JavaScript. So I'm going to just put alert, parentheses, quote, you have clicked my, you've pressed my button. That's a, that's a, pressed my button. Is that a push? No, pushed. You have pushed my button. That's, that's the expression in English that there's an implication. Uh, close quote, close parentheses, and of course, semicolon at the end. Um, uh, you have pressed my, pushed my button in English uh, has an implication of, of being annoyed by someone. You've really pushed my button. That's what we say sometimes. Um, okay, so we've got image map editor. Uh, we've got our image. We've filled out our little magic form. And now here's the other very, for me, bizarrely unintuitive step that apparently you have to do. And that is you go to image, edit, use map. And then you have to tell this thing that you want it to use my map. It's got a little drop down dialog box. Um, and so you have to kind of tell it explicitly to use that, that the map that you've created for it. I just feel like that's so weird because why else would I be creating this image? Like at least, at the least, I think that should be the default. Anyway, I'm gonna click save now. Little floppy disk icon up in the toolbar. You could go to file save obviously instead. And now I'm gonna go out to my dolphin file manager, click on example.html and here we are. So I'm running my mouse over the image and he, I just, I, it, it turns into a little pointy finger uh, over this one area, kind of in the middle of the image where I put my hotspot. And uh, if I'm rolling over it, if I, if I pause on it, eventually a little title box pops up. It says this is some title. And uh, my status bar shows that the destination of this is example.com. So now I'm going to click on it. I should see a little pop-up uh, window that says you've really pushed my button, you've pushed my button, and I say okay to that, and then once I say okay to that, it pops up with an example uh, domain screen, which of course is example.com. Uh, and that's K-Image Map Editor, honestly. There's probably a lot, some some more that you can do with that. Uh, but that is, that's the tutorial provided by the documentation. And if you look at it, I'm going to discard those changes. If you look at the application, look at that, look at the documentation, I, I don't think there's a whole lot more you can do with it. I think that's that that's the purpose of the of the thing. That that's the application. That's what it does. That's the one thing that it does. It does it well. It really works. Yeah, and it and it does do it well, honestly. It is quite 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 satisfactory. Like um you know, I don't I don't need a whole lot out of a K image, uh, out of an image map myself, but it is, it's really clean. And by clean, I mean, um, the code that it generates is really, really nice. If you can open up the HTML in, in a text editor, I've just opened it in you know, Emacs here, image source equals path to my image. 
use map equals hash my map map name equals my map so there we go we've married those two elements together area shape is a rectangle target blank title this is some title href equals uh, example.com on click equals um, alert you have pushed my button this is some alt text coordinates and then it lists the uh, coordinates so yeah that seems to all work correctly it closes the map and it's just nice you know you don't have a whole bunch of excess code it is just the code that you have created so that's a really useful thing i think i, I think that's a really neat little application that i never really looked for before because like i say i just in real life i don't have the need for image maps but if you do then this is a really nice way to do it and I mean, look, I, I don't know what the modern tool set is for GUI web development anymore. Uh, hopefully, they're far and few between, because the ones that existed in the past that I was familiar with were just rubbish. Uh, you know, things like Dreamweaver and Photoshop, cutting f images up in Photoshop. I mean, it was just, it was miserable. But people did it for a long time, and I guess they thought that was okay. And this is really nice. K-Image Map Editor, just... a comparatively a very very elegant solution yes there are a couple of extra steps in there that i don't feel are very intuitive again there may be a use case where they become really really uh not annoying so sometimes what seems like an extra step to the casual user is something is better than a, a default that the power user has to keep changing or 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 sometimes will save by mistake because that was the default that we for, that you forgot was made default or something like that. So uh, either way, I think that image, K image map editor, I, 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 I think it's a good little application. And I like how focused it is. I don't, I don't want to lean too much in the cliche of, oh, Linux applications must only do one thing. I get that GUI applications do many things, but this, this really is, I mean, it, it's, it's a very specific task that it does, and I quite, quite like it. Next up is KIMAP. IMAP is an email protocol, and KIMAP is an API for the handling of IMAP data. So I, I guess I should look at the, the listing here, but you can probably more or less guess what this is gonna consist of. And you'd probably be right. It's a bunch of user include KF5 stuff. So it's it's a bunch of header files and your typical translation files. That's it. So this is for stuff. This is stuff for the KDE framework, for KDE developers rather, to use to interface or well, yeah, to interface with IMAP. Uh, so I, I I imagine that the primary user of this is going to be Kmail uh, contact. I, well, Kmail more specifically. I, I think that's probably where we're seeing most of this, the usage of this. But I mean, if you wanted to create a, an an email client with with Qt and KDE frameworks, this is these are the these are functions that you could use so that you don't have to write the code to parse all that yourself. I I hate to belabor this. I probably say this every time I come across a KDE framework, but if you've ever dabbled at all in programming beyond, you know, be, beyond literally creating your your own thing, I feel like there are two two kind of stages, or you know, probably more than that. But let's really broadly, let's say there are two stages of 
of being a, a programmer, a hobby level programmer. One is where you're just you're making cool stuff happen through sort of brute force. You know, you're just you're you're using the code that you've learned, and maybe you're coming up with some really cool solutions. But it's all it's all coming from your fingertips. Like that that's where it's happening. But then at some point you you start to understand. Well, I should say you think that's where it's all happening because you're typing all those words. Now, of course, in reality, you're you're not making it all happen. Probably you're 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 almost certainly including or importing or requiring or whatever the keyword your language uses. You're you're importing libraries, but to you that's just part of the language because it's just built-in uh, libraries of that language. So you don't understand really that you're inheriting a bunch of code for free when you import rand for your random number generator or import time or, or whatever you're importing to you that's just your language but then at some point in your programming life you start to transition into an awareness that there's a bunch of other libraries out there and you start really really understanding that you're getting a bunch of code for free because you're importing this library and I feel like that's a real crossover point because then you really start to understand how much, how lazy you can be and how good it is to be lazy because you don't really want to reinvent that stuff. That's not effective or it's not, um, yeah, it's not efficient. That's what I was trying to say. It's not a fit or effective sometimes because it might be effective at first, but then as people use your application, you, you see all of the... Uh, edge cases that you didn't account for while re-implementing something that someone else has already invented. So that's a big deal, and I feel like KDE Frameworks, if you have gotten into that second branch of programming where you really understand truly that there's libraries out there that give you code for free, they're, they're just taking your keyboard away from you, and it's typing a bunch of code in, hundreds, thousands of, line of lines of code, with logic that you didn't have to figure out, with edge cases that you don't have to account for, and it's just, it's there. Now it's in your code. It's kind of cool. And I almost wish there was a way, and I mean, I mean there there is a way, but I almost wish there was a, sort of a, a, a default, sort of easy, almost unavoidable way when you run your first uh, Python program. Instead of just, you know, somehow, maybe it could just spit out really quick, here's what your code actually looks like. You know, even if it's just a print hello world, like, here's all the stuff that you just got for free just to spit out hello world into someone's terminal. And instead of three lines, it's more like 300 lines. I, I think that that could help people maybe really understand what they're getting when they use a library. And that's not... I'm not saying that like people need to understand and be grateful. I'm just saying I think there's a, a, a weird gap in the concept of, well, this is the code that I write, and this is the stuff that just happens magically. And, and you know, magic is not good. Like, that's you don't want that in computing. You want stuff to be understood. And, and so that's what I'm trying to solve there with this imaginary thought exercise. Anyway, that's the frameworks. That's KDE Frameworks. Gives you a lot of cool code for free. And I imagine that if I was programming something with Qt, KDE, I would really appreciate KIMAP. Well, I should say if I'm programming something that needs to interface with KIMAP, I would. Time for coffee. You get yours, I'll get mine. Meet back here, finish up the episode. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, I'm here with coffee. I hope that you've got your coffee. Let's uh, get back to the show. And speaking of coffee, actually, I got a comment from a listener on Mastodon. This is from Ectasis. Ectasis says, Hi, been listening to old episodes with lots of coffee talk. Got me wondering if you only buy fair trade labeled coffee or what your thoughts on fair trade are. I didn't actually catch that or originally in my head that was and. Anyway, I I don't know about I don't know a lot about fair trade. I know that it is a label, an industry uh, term that gets labeled on coffee to as far as I know represent some kind of assurance to a consumer that the product you are consuming was paid for and has dealt with farms or, or, or vendors who do things, quote, ethically. And I, I really, I don't like the level of abstraction from where we are getting things from. I, I don't know a solution to it, though. So taking all of it at its word, just to, to assume that fair trade is exactly what it says, which is that it gives, that it ensures that the people harvesting coffee beans are being treated well. And again, I, you know, I don't know what that means. Like, what does well mean? I don't know. So treated well, being paid a fair amount, that sort of thing. Taking it at its word, I am fortunate to be in a financial situation Right now, at least, things change. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But right now, I'm in a financial situation where I can very conveniently, without even giving it a second thought, support exclusively fair trade coffee. Meaning, when I go to the store, the brands I have to choose from are marked as fair trade brands. The coffee that I purchase for myself is coffee that's being purchased at reasonable market rates so that everyone involved is paid equally and fairly and all these other things. Now, I don't for a minute believe that, that it's completely a perfect system because there are very few perfect systems, especially when money and production is involved. But ideally, buy, buy, buying fair trade is at least better than buying not fair trade. Having said that, however, I, I, I'm imagining that the people harvesting coffee beans are not paid what they're worth because people who harvest food in general aren't being paid what they're worth there's a lot of sort of imbalance in the world and and that's unfortunate there are whole countries where the workforce is almost wholly oppressed and yet that same workforce completely supports their country that is oppressing them they are happy to be there they are they will ardently defend it they will even sign up to armed forces to go try to spread the way of their country to other countries by force. So yeah, there are problems, but I feel like that's kind of a defeatist attitude, right? Instead, let's just assume that fair trade is doing good in the world. And luckily right now I'm able to support fair trade. That's that's what I've got for you. I don't know if that's really acceptable. It's not wholly satisfactory to me, but that that's what I've got. Uh, I would love to know more about this too. Because I, I don't like to sound or be or feel defeatist because I don't think that that's very constructive. But at the same time, I, I also think it's important to recognize that just because some marketing entity somewhere said that it's better to get the box with a, a green label on it than a box with a blue label on it, I don't want to I don't want to pretend like that's just a guarantee and no more thought is required because I don't know any coffee farmers and 
if I do know any coffee farmers, for instance, listening to this podcast, and you want to tell me your opinion on fair trade, I would be all ears. I'd be very interested in actually hearing what kind of change or difference that is that is making. Now let's look at K-Info Center. This is one of my honest-to-goodness favorite applications on Linux at all. K-Info Center. I'm not kidding you. I have this pinned to my KDE panel. I love this application. K-Info Center is a, it's an application that aggregates a bunch of information about your system all in one place for every user. Any user who wants to see this stuff can click on the K-Info Center and get all kinds of information about their system. And the reason this is one of my favorite applications on Linux at all is because I really honestly believe this is important information for every user to have really easy access to. And it almost makes me angry when it's obfuscated in any way. And I know that there are ways, there are always ways to get this information. I understand that. I realize you can just go to cat slash proc CPU info and get a big dump of information about your CPU. I realize that you can do LSPCI and then like maybe sort of, um, oh, apparently not without sudo, I can't, LSPCI, and get a bunch of information about all the different things plugged into all of the different ports of your of your computer. And I guess you could do like a grep, I don't know, what, VGA maybe, to get some information about, oh, forgot to pipe it, grep VGA to get some information about your graphics card. I, I know you can do free and free-m dash and all these, you know, you, you can do all of that. It's there. I, I know that there are other applications like I, INXI and what is it, screen fetch, I think. So yeah, there are lots of options and I understand that, but I don't know that all of those options are really easy for every user. And I don't know that those options deliver the information in a way that every user finds useful. And so I really like K-Info Center. The first time I think I saw K-Info Center, or maybe I'm just conflating a couple of different things, but I know that Magia, for instance, or when I saw it, it would have been Mandriva still. I, I know that they had like a sort of a, you know, get information on your computer panel at one point. And I used to love that really just loved it and and then eventually i found k info center and fell in love with it so when you launch k info center and again you can do that just from you know just type in info center there it is info center in your k menu when you launch it it starts with a little this little default summary screen just called about this system and here it is it's got the slackware logo slackware 15.0 slackware.com Software's KDE Plasma version 5.23.5, KDE Framework version 5.90.9.0, Qt version 5.15.3, Kernel version 5.15.38, Graphics Platform X11 Hardware, Processors 12, AMD Ryzen 5 5600X 6 Core Processor, and so on. So lots and lots of information. I can even copy all of that information to my clipboard. Now I have all that, all the basic info. Someone using a computer, you ask, give me information about your system, you tell them to go to K-Info Center, copy that to their keyboard, they have it, they can paste it into an email, done, no screenshots, nothing, it's just everything that they saw, you now have in, in an email. But that's not all, that's just the summary screen, there's also a memory screen that shows you your total physical 
memory, the free physical memory, shared memory, disk buffers, disk cache, total swap memory. Uh, it, it gives you little bar charts of how that memory is being used. Here's a disk cache of 65%, free is 8%, application data is 25%, and so on. You, you can look at the energy um, information about your computer. I mean, especially useful if there's a battery in, in your computer, which there, there isn't here. Uh, storage drives. You see all of your different hard drives. You see what size they are. You see their locations of them. Processors. Again, you see all the processor information, how many cores you have. DMA channels, IEEE 1394 uh, devices, none of those. IO ports, interrupts, PCI, smart status, USB devices, graphics. You see ever all the information about your uh, graphics card, about what which graphic card you actually have, what what the specifications about it are, what OpenGL version it is using, what Vulkan, all the Vulkan uh, information, the X server information. And it just goes on and on. And, and then there's, I forgot, network. There's a network one as well. And you get all of the, you know, you want someone's IP address? This, they can find their IP address, finally. They can just go to network. And then it, it goes by default to network interfaces. And it shows all the different interfaces. And there are a lot of them, admittedly, right now in my system. Because a lot of these are um, tunnel devices, uh, virtual bridges going to a virtual machine. Not a big deal. You just tell them to look for you know, the one that starts with 10.0 or or the one that starts with 192.168 or what, however you've got things configured where you ask them for the names and you zero in on the Ethernet or the Wi-Fi, whatever. Point is, it's all here in a very approachable kind of non-scary graphical view. And it's just so useful. And the thing is, I, I keep speaking of it as if though... The person that will be using this is the is the person who you know shouldn't really be on Linux and 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 still is afraid to go over to console to type something in. But it's it's not. I mean, I use K Info Center all the time. Like I use it just all the time for one reason or another. Whether it's because I've uh, momentarily forgotten how much memory I have in my system, or I've forgotten what version of KDE I'm running. I, I, all I ever remember about that is that it says it's the 25th anniversary edition when I launch, when I, when I, uh, go into my desktop. So I, I never can remember the numbers associated with it. Um, I don't really use the network one very much, but, um, or, or possibly ever, but yeah, there, there's, there, there are little bits of information and, and especially the, uh, the graphics card stuff. Like that stuff is just such a tedious, it's so tedious to try to get that data from from anywhere else. So just opening up K-Info Center gives, it to, gives everything right there to you. It's parsed nicely, laid out nicely. It's just such a nice application. I love K-Info Center. I believe every desktop should have K-Info Center. And if you don't want K-Info Center, then it should have, it should have, there should be an equivalent of that for GNOME. And there isn't, by the way. GNOME has system settings, which by the way, from the name, makes it sound like it would be a place to go for system settings. Um, so it, it, it has settings, and you can go there and, and glean a lot of information about your system. But you have to click around a lot and kind of go into places that, well, really, you could change stuff from. The K-Info Center is not... It's not interactable. I mean, it is a little. You can click on buttons to, to change what you're looking at. But, I mean, you can't change that from here. You can't go to your network and accidentally bring your 
you know, uh, change your network selection. You can't change the state of your of your connection. You can't put your network down by by looking at your network information. And I think there's an, there's a, a value to that. And I, I think that's that's really really useful. That is K Info Center. Next, we're going to talk about K Init, which you would think, well, I guess that's another KDE application. It is not, except it also is. So, K-init is, this is very confusing, but there are two applications technically called K-init. Uh, I mean, not really, because this isn't called K-init. This is actually KDE-init, and specifically it provides KDE-init 5, and KDE-init 5 shutdown, KDE 5-init, no, KDE-init 5 uh, wrapper. So this, the KDE init is a process launcher similar to, you know, any init application. It, it, it initializes a thing. So this launches processes by forking them and then loading a dynamic library that, that has, it's, it's kind of like you're almost preloading some of the, the essential things that, that KDE applications are going to require. In practice, like in everyday practice, I kind of feel like what this what this kind of does, and I, I don't even know if this is all that useful, but what you can do is in your, if you're in a console, you can type in KDE init 5 and then the name of a KDE application, like KDE init 5 space dolphin. Bang. It's open, and and that forks that process. So you get your, or not for yeah, it launches a new process. So you get your terminal prompt back. You still get output into the terminal, so it's not like you're losing anything there. Um, and you, you get a little bit of a report on it, like what the process number for that is now. According to the man page, KDE init 5, it also, it, it uses, so it says, where does it say here? Using KDE init 5 to launch KDE applications makes starting a typical KDE application a couple times faster and reduces memory consumption by a substantial amount. I have done my best to use KDE init 5 to launch applications over the past two weeks. And actually, it's been about three weeks now. And on, I couldn't tell you. Could not tell you. I, can't, I cannot discern that they launch faster. I cannot discern whether they are using less memory. It's just not something. My, my computer has 32 gigs of RAM. It has so much RAM that I typically use a good chunk of it, usually four to eight gigabytes, as a RAM disk, where I put things like the data that I'm going to be using that day, I'll copy, I'll put copies of it into a RAM disk and work off of those copies, like especially with like PDFs or big documents like that. Uh, I'll just copy them over to a RAM disk so I, so I can just launch them from there because they do launch so, so much faster from a RAM disk. But KDE5 and it, KDE init 5, I have not noticed one at all, the, uh, an improvement over performance, or in performance rather, um, because I was not suffering in the first place. So without a really scientific study of the benefits, I can't say whether or not this has made any difference to my computing life at all. But it's good to know about and maybe it's something for you to try if you feel like things are lagging a little bit on your computer. Try KDE init 5. See if that speeds up the launch times and reduces memory consumption. Because it would sure be cool if it did. 
but yeah, personally, I have not, I've not noticed that myself. Okay, so K init, the other K init, which I'm not going to go over right now, is a Kerberos, a Kerberos uh, command, and you can use it to get a, um, a certificate from your Kerberos provider so that then when you go to uh, websites, you know, that, that, that are looking for a Kerberos uh, certificate uh, authentication, you have that cached on your system. So if you're signing into like a Fedora site or something where they can use that, like the build site for Fedora, can use K, K init to authenticate you as the 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 as being the right person who who has signed into that account and you know is trying to build an rpm against that against that account so it's it's a uh, it's easy to confuse k init with k init from the package name but this KD, k init is kde init 5 kerberos's k init is just k init for real okay now let's talk about kio so i've talked about kio slaves before and those are little library functions that um, extend what you can do with Dolphin. Uh, for instance, you insert a, a, a CD of music into a CD drive, and Dolphin interprets it as a collection of files, even though it's not files, it's just a bunch of audio data. But Dolphin understands that were you to extract a song from that CD, you would you would be doing that by turning it into a file and so it represents that file to you it is a fascinating fascinating way of of interpreting data and, and that's what some you know that, that that's in general what kio is all about it's it's how it how it 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 presents data to you and kio itself has well let me just read the description here this framework implements almost all file management functions you ever need. In fact, the KDE file manager, Dolphin, and the KDE file dialog also use KIO uh, to provide network-enabled file management. It supports accessing files locally as well as over HTTP and FTP, and it can be extended with other stuff, and there's more plugins available to support stuff such as SSH. So I think this probably more than anything i could be wrong but i i kind of feel like this more than anything a long long time ago really drove home for me that something like for instance http especially because i think that's the that's the most magical one it it it, it this this conveyed to me that http it, it's no different than any anything else it, you're just looking at files on a drive. The, the difference is that there are little hooks programmed in to some things, like a web browser for instance, such that those files look different to you. They look, you're, you're looking by default at the contents of the file rather than the icon, an icon representing that file. KIO in Dolphin brings full network transparency to to your computer. So you can, for instance, type in um, fish, F-I-S-H, colon, slash, slash, and then the address to some computer on your network, uh, possibly preceded by your username, depending on how you've got your computer set up. Uh, so like fish, colon, slash, slash, clatu at 192.168.1.5. Hit return. 
you'll be prompted for a password for that computer. And you would type that in and hit return. And then as if though the files were located right there on the computer that you're sitting at, you see all the files in, in Dolphin. And you can use them. You can interact with them. You don't have to, like, copy them over to a local uh, location. You can just start using them. And it is so, so convenient. Um, I can't remember, really, the last time I bothered juggling files across my network anymore. I just I just open things up on a different computer on the screen that is most convenient to me. I'm sure there are exceptions. I, I use this as a convenience function. It's something that I do around the house when I need to look at a, a document or edit a text file. It, it's it's not something, you know, I'm not, I'm not designing a whole workflow around it for a complex process. So there may be exceptions to how far that this ex how far this extends but certainly for for what i'm using it for this has made my network a lot more cohesive than i feel i've had to work to to make it feel you know you know like it it has added quite a lot to to my network that i never had to sit down and configure myself it's just a reasonably uh, a a reasonable network configuration and kio has has brought me so much and so it's it's really really nice i if 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 you're not using it check it out really because it is just fantastic so the package itself kio 5.90 provides the 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 the, the main um protocols uh, like a, a protocol for like viewing your trash as a single location um, viewing, um, well, FTP, for instance, automatic FTP. You don't have to go to a different application for that. Um, it, it knows what to do with an HTTP application. It won't launch it straight into Dolphin. Dolphin is not Conqueror, but it will open it up in your default browser. Now, there are KIO-extras, which conveniently is the next one in, in the list, and that provides a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of other um, functions as well. For instance, fish, F-I-S-H, bzip2. You don't have to you don't have to do anything special for a bzip2 document. You can just look at it. You don't have to you don't have to open it up into something else. NFS, that's there as well. Uh, man, info, XZ, Samba, Tar, just a lot of different things. Dolphin just kind of knows what to do about, with those things. Um, depending on your configuration. So if you go to Dolphin, go to configure in the, you know, in the main menu, configure Dolphin. And then there is a place where you can choose certain, certain functions. So there is, for instance, a place where you have to decide where you, how you want to open up, for instance, archives. And there is an option to open archives directly in in dolphin although i am not finding it right now as i speak but trust me it is there you can just open up archives right within dolphin as if though they were folders i don't have that enabled i actually prefer now for there to be a specific application which we've covered in a previous episode called arc ark i i, I prefer to open up my archives in ARC just because it does have a lot of functionality and I just kind of like the idea that I have a, a an application dedicated to to in-depth 
real-time usage of, of compressed uh, files. So, yeah, here it is, finally. Navigation, open new tabs after current tab, open archives as folders, open folders during drag and drop operations. So I have open archives as folders disabled. I do not have that enabled. That is left unchecked on mine. But you could do that, and then you would be using the KIO functionality of seamlessly introspecting and, and using and opening a compressed file as if though it was just a, a folder full of files. Oh, and I should mention too, I'm sorry, because I, I tend to focus on Dolphin because that's where I, I guess I, I mostly use this, but I mean, this is KDE frameworks, right? This is all, this. there's integration here. So at any application that is KIO aware, you can use this same thing with those applications. So for instance, let's say you're editing text in Kate and you want to edit a remote file that happens not to be on your local computer. It's in the lap. It's on the laptop in the other room. You can you can just open that up from within Kate. Uh, Gwynview is another one that's KIO aware. So there's a there's several KDE applications that just give you KIO functionality for free thanks to the KIO subsystem. So that's KIO extras. Is there anything else KIO? Oh yeah, KIO G Drive. I think that's the last one. Okay, we'll end with that. KIO G Drive, as you might imagine, enables you to interact with a Google Drive straight within Dolphin. I don't use, I try to avoid Google Drive. I, I do interact with Google Drive, um, but I, I not not for personal information. Um, so I, I don't I don't actually use this. But you can try it. G Drive colon slash slash, and then your um, your username or your your yeah your username at and then I think, what is it? Something like the email address, probably. So I think just your email address, probably. Or something like that. I forget. Um, let me let me try with like a fake, fake account here. Let me do... Yeah, let me, let me try this. So I'm going to put my user, uh, an email, a junk email address. That is, of course, Gmail, because those were easy to get at one point. And then I'll open it in Firefox to sign in. Because you have to authentic, you have to agree, you know, you have to let, you have to let Akinati resources for Google services into your account. So I'll put in, I'm putting in my fake account name and it recognizes that. And I put in the password and then I've got two, uh, two, two factor authentication enabled, even for a fake account that I don't actually use. That's fine. Okay, so I'll get my little two-factor authentication token. I'm getting that. This, this is the kind of thing, by the way, Knit could help you with. I don't know how to use Knit with Google services because I don't, I don't, I don't interact with them that much. But it is possible. Okay, there we go. All right. So, or I mean, I don't know that it's possible. What am I saying? Um, but for other services, like other, if it's Kerberos-based, you can use Knit. Anyway, um, I'm I'm in. Oh, and it looks like this has failed. It says this app is blocked. This app tried to access sensitive info in your Google account. To keep your account safe, Google blocked this access. So that did not function as I'd expected. Oh well. Um, like I say, I don't really interact with Google services uh, often. I try to avoid it when I can. Um, it, it's handy for you know online accounts and things like that sometimes, but something I. I typically try to just ignore and avoid. So I don't know. Um, 
I'm not going to spend time trying to figure that out because I don't care enough. But if you if you do use Google Drive, and many people do for school, for work, for whatever. So if you do use Google Drive, this could be something, or maybe Google's changed something on the back end. I suspect that I would have to just look up how to enable like uh, application access for my for that Google account and and then act, you know do something in in the settings of Google to allow that application access i guess i don't really know maybe i maybe you need a developer token or something who knows that's not a wonderful way to to end this episode with with failure but i mean sometimes that happens and and it's like i say we're, it's not really worth pursuing i don't think so that's KIO let's just focus on KIO not on KIO KIO G drive who cares about G drive KIO very very cool system it permeates a lot of kde so start using things remotely it's it's easier than you might think and and type weird stuff into dolphin's little url bar you never know what you'll find it's a very cool system and and if you want to know what you'll find have a look through the kio packages on slackware it kind of explains it there thanks for listening i'll talk to you next time Thanks for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open to try to help others and to be mistrusted every time.